So Jeff, Margaret Wheatley, very different than a lot of other guests that we've had so far. So Indeed. In fact, you probably, I, I guess the best way for me to describe the conversation and as well as, you know, her, her book and the way in which she writes is that she's very, very deep. Right. So clearly she um, she she thinks and writes um, in a very intense and emotional way, which, of course, leaders really need. And she just keeps reminding us all that leading is not just about strategy. It's about it's about a way of being. So she's very poetic in the way that she writes and and talks. Do Do you notice that? Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed her comments about community as well, like talking about how, you know, really everyone needs to come together to really kind of come out and succeed, whether that's, you know, your, 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 your town, your city, your, your high school, your middle school, your, your, you know, it's not just, it can't all be on the leader, you know, it has, it takes a village, you know, to quote Hillary Clinton. Yeah, well, very true. In fact, you know, her strategies that she was talking about, they weren't these um, innovative ideas necessarily, but they're innovative in that they're difficult to do in this day and age. Right. And so she is reminding us of these kind of these bedrock and foundational things of we sure. do have to do this together. We can't do it alone. Well, yeah, sometimes it really takes, you know, somebody can just kind of reiterate uh, common sense that we've already heard, but you someone says it in that right way and it really just you know takes hold and you're like yes that makes sense that's my aha moment so exactly so right. i think that i think she I, had a lot of those so. a lot of those for sure yeah. and so i i think our listeners are really going to appreciate this i think that in some ways uh despite sometimes us talking about some depressing things i think that <laughs> um one thing that they will they'll probably walk away thinking that was a breath of fresh air because it was so different than somebody just describing an instructional strategy they need to consider so sure i, I really appreciate the conversation and i i'm, I'm looking forward to other people hearing it as well. Absolutely. Okay. Enjoy, everyone. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, welcome to Leader Chat. I am Jeff Rose, and today is going to be fun. And let me let, let me be very clear about uh, our guest today in that, you know, one thing that I have mentioned over and over and over is that we don't arrange our guests a year out. We think about this in terms of what is what is the right conversation to have right now, and it it actually comes to us in this very organic way. Sometimes we're tracking trends that educational leaders are struggling through or managing, and at times we get these incredible recommendations that come our way, and then we go knock on doors. In this particular case, there is an educational leader that I know really well. She's She's somebody I've looked up to for a long period of time, and she and I were recently chatting, and I asked her what she had been reading. And she said, I, I've been reading Margaret Wheatley. And I said, so tell me more ab- about, about Dr. Wheatley. And, and she did. And so I ordered one of her recent books, Who Do We Choose to Be? Facing Reality, Claiming Leadership, and Restoring Sanity. By the way, great title. And I became really engrossed in this book. So, of course, I started sending in emails, my team, and started reaching out and saying, Dr. Wheatley, we want to have you on a leader chat. And I think it's going to be really obvious as to why, because her perspective relative to leaders, especially in the educational space, 
I just think is really needed for us to hear right now. So let me just give a brief bio and then I'm going to invite Margaret. I'm going to call her Meg. She told me that I had permission to do so to the screen. Now, Dr. Margaret Wheatley began caring about the world's peoples in 1966 as a Peace Corps volunteer in post-Korea, excuse me, post-war Korea. As a consultant, senior level advisor, teacher, speaker, and formal leader, she has worked on all continents all continents except Antarctica, with all levels, ages, and types of organizations, leaders, and activists. Her work now focuses on developing and supporting leaders globally as warriors for the human spirit. These leaders put service over self, strand steadfast through crisis and failures, and make a difference for people and, and causes they care about. With compassion and insight, they know how to invoke people's inherent generosity, creativity, kindness, and community, no matter what is happening around them. So Meg has written 10 books, including The Classic Leadership and The New Science, and has been honored by her, her pathfinding work by many professional associations, universities, and organizations. She received her doctorate, doctorate from Harvard University, an MA in Media Ecology from NYU, and a BA from University of Rochester. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Meg Wheatley to the screen. Meg, I'm, I'm thrilled you're joining me from Utah, and uh, so we're on opposite ends of the continent, and thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm really glad you invited me, Jeff, so I'm looking forward to this greatly. Well, I, I, I intentionally just read this much of your bio. There's a lot yes. more, but our, our readers don't know you, so maybe you can either fill in the space in between or mention sure. some things that are really important, or maybe some of your just motivating why behind all the things that you do and write well, about these days. Well, that, that'll take all the time. Yeah, so yeah. I wanted so go for it. to know uh, that I began and still consider myself as an educator. I just keep changing the people that I speak with and work with. But I began teaching in Korea, post-war circumstances, very foreign culture. It really gave me the means to feel I could work anywhere in the world. And that's what I've done during my whole life. I've also raised a very large family, but I started out as a classroom teacher in New York City and in Yonkers, New York, and then led educational programs for women who'd been excluded from normal college for stupid reasons, and, and then went on to um, create educational programs that served at the master's level. Um, I got my master's from one of the great educators of our time, Neil Postman, and I just wanna honor him. He, was, he wrote, his first book was called Teaching as a Subversive Activity, How We Create Disruption. And then his second book was Teaching as a Conserving Activity, because they're both part of our roles. <clears throat> and um, I've been out in the world now, actively out in the world in all those different roles. And what has intrigued me from the very beginning is how we could work together, not only better, but with greater access to human creativity and the human spirit. And I would say, because I have a new book, my 11th book will show up in March called Restoring Sanity, 
Practices to Awaken Generosity, Creativity, and Kindness. And this is a book that it concretizes all my work, which is, can we create organizations and lead organizations in ways that, that rely on the human spirit? I mean, that create organizations, as one person said, are worthy of human habitation. That's where I began, but where I am now, and this is why I really want to talk to everyone here, is because I've had such extensive in-depth experience with leaders all over the world at all levels in all such varied cultures, I can say with complete confidence, I have never experienced leadership being more difficult than it is today. And as good as we've been as leaders, as many techniques and practices as we've learned, how we've developed ourselves professionally, it doesn't work because of external circumstances beyond our control. And we'll talk about that. But my first message is, it's not our fault that schools now are failing. It's not our fault. We did our very best. And where we are now is we're dealing with a culture in breakdown. We're dealing with increasing violence and aggression. It used to just be polarization. Now it's outright violence and aggression showing up in school board meetings in Congress recently in um, streets in, in uh, Little League in Utah. I just, was just surprised recently that when an umpire in Utah now leaves the field, he has police protection. What on earth is going on? And so all of these are trends and dynamics, fear, withdrawal, cocooning, self-protection, distraction. These are all well-identified signs of a culture in collapse. And they're all happening within the school. I mean, for years, I felt that the school was like the, <laughs> maybe the toilet <laughs> for all these social issues. But now in the external environment makes doing good leadership, doing leadership in ways that we know worked in the past. Um, it, it's increasingly impossible. I am severely worried because I've been working with educational leaders in the Southern California region. I'm severely worried about the capacity of leaders to persevere and keep going in these circumstances. I, I am too, Meg. I, I think um, partly so much of, of what drives me now is um, this, this worry and this concern for them. Right, I, I, I do know the, the the value and importance of educational leaders. In fact, I, I, I sometimes blame leaders, but I also believe that they are the answer. Sadly, I would agree, and I think that your, your your, your title of your new book is, is 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 probably this aspirational title because when you talk about yes. restoring sanity, sadly, yes. over the last few years, due to a lot of factors throughout our country, I mean, I think that. Many of us would agree, and it feels like these pockets of insanity that just land I on schools. Pockets. I want to correct you on the pocket. <laughs> sure, please. 
<laughs> because these are not pockets of insanity. This is a wave of insanity that has swept over us. And it's driving people into uh, diversions, into distraction, into withdrawal. It's also inviting the few people into aggression. Sure. Now, yeah. the, the, in so the, your your book here, who do we choose to be? I, that was written in two thousand seventeen, correct? No, there's a, no. What you have, I don't know which. I just came out with a new edition. Yeah, this is the newest edition, but I okay. think the first this version is a was a whole new book. Yes. So, so that was that was interesting to me because I have I have the newest version, and then um, just in looking, I thought, you know, you you had written it earlier. But then so much had transpired post that first version that it it probably a was a really book. interesting process to write again, especially being that yes. we just faced this incredibly turbulent time. So maybe just talk about the motivation behind the the message, your initial motivation on who do we choose to be. Well, and then I'll the initial work, and I had written an earlier book in 2012, and um, called uh, So Far From Home, Lost and Found in Our Brave New World. So I've been tracking these global shifts, these cultural shifts, these social dynamics for quite a while. And in 2017, I first applied what is the very well-known, well-established, verifiable, evidence-based pattern completely replicable from civilization to civilization of how people behave in the last stage of the civilization. I wrote that in 2017. Nobody liked me saying that. In fact, <laughs> uh, people would say, well, whatever happened to Margaret Wheatley? She used to be so hopeful. And I would just say, after I was surprised at that reaction and a bit offended, I would just say, have you noticed what's going on in the world, people? Have you seen what's going on in the world? Well, since 2017 until now, we just see an intensification of, of these terrible dynamics of aggression, choosing conflict and war as the ultimate strategy, militarizing the world as well as militarizing everything now, that, that weaponizing everything as, is an accurate description. Um, so we don't talk to each other. We're not even interested in talking to one another because we're in such fear. And when we're in fear, we're all about aggression and we're all about self-protection. And we don't use our frontal lobes at all where all the good stuff is resonant in us human beings. So when I went to my publisher asked for a new edition, and that could have meant just putting in one or two new chapters. But when I started to write it, it really is a new book. It's 80% at least new material, bringing us up to date on how we are just step by step getting tracking on this pattern of collapse. And then the question is, who do we choose to be? So facing reality is incredibly hard, painful, and difficult, and most people will deny it. But once we face reality, then we have a choice of claiming our leadership. Do we want to serve this time? Do we still want to serve children? Do we still want to serve education? 
to, or learning. I prefer that title, that word. But and then the th third subtitle is restoring sanity, which I then took over into this new book, which is very practice oriented. But where I'm down now with what I wanted to correct you, Jeff, about it's not pockets. No, it's a wave. But within that wave that is so destructive and so um, it's destructive of the environment. We're not paying any attention of what's coming with climate or earth pushing back, following its laws uh, and are ignoring them. But I'm working now with the concept of islands of sanity and I'm front and center in the exploration right now with some educational leaders. Can your school become an island of sanity? which I'm defining as a both a protective, a sanctuary, and a possibility. Is it still possible for people to do good work together, to get past the judgments, biases, fears, triggers that have just separated us so dangerously from one another? Is it possible to apply what we already know about empowerment, about participation, about high involvement strategies for leaders. I think the only way that is possible is to create a protective barrier. And I'm really speaking about this as the most difficult, challenging work and the most meaningful work <clears throat> of our leader lives. Can we create a healthy community within a school where people are committed to one another and they're committed to the work and they're committed to good behaviors. And can we, as the educational leader, keep the forces, the policies, the behaviors, the, the, uh, the insults, can we keep those at bay? And it needs to be thought of as an island because you can't do this work of being a good leader, again, of people working well together, again, I keep adding again, but I realize that's only for us people who are older. We do remember times of working well together. Younger people don't have that experience. It's quite shocking, um, but true. So can we take on this, this challenge um, and see what's possible? I'm using a quote from one of my mentors from late 80s, Marvin Weisbord, who's a great organization development consultant, just fabulously brilliant. And he said, I used to ask what's wrong and how can I fix it? And then I realized the right questions were, what's possible here and who cares? So yeah. I'm working on what's possible. And I think the only way to create possibility within this vicious destructive environment is to create a boundary, create a sense of really being there for one another within the school and knowing that if we can figure out how to work well together again or anew, uh, then we can create some possibilities. Well, I, bear with me because I I know what I want to ask you. I'm I have to figure out exactly how to ask it. So let, let me give it a shot. Um, so I think that when when we look at 
the the incredible challenge that leaders are facing and so we've we've agreed upon that in fact you said it's not pockets it's it, it's a wave so i'm i, I agree because it's um it has completely hijacked much of the intention and the actions of leaders. In fact, you know, we see leaders who have incredible intentions, incredible skills, and yet still don't feel even equipped to navigate the complexity of the challenge coming at them every single day, right? And so they're suffering through the, the tyranny of the urgent, which we've talked about for many, many years, but it has become so much more extreme in this day and age. In the meantime, the, the strategies of that we used to really rely on, um, I would argue may not be effective now. So the curiosity becomes what is the strategy? How does one lead in this day and age, which it has to be different than it once was. In fact, you, you've asked the question a number of times, you say, can we, can we, can we? Well, we have to believe it's possible but it needs to be different i have to assume using the strategies that i was taught in principal school or when i went to superintendent school likely will not translate to this current environment and structure so as you're coaching and supporting and kind of nurturing leaders how are you helping them believe in and overcome this concept of using strategy from years ago that we know is not translating to now. How do you do that? Well, let's look at why it's not translating to now. So <clears throat> I wrote a book on conversations that would restore hope to the future. It was called Turning to One Another. And there had been so much good work on how to host conversations how to truly listen to one another, how to explore differences in a generative, problem-solving way. <clears throat> um, none of those things work now if you're out there in what you've described as the general culture in the general arena that we're, we're, we have a school in or a school system in. <clears throat> so that practice of bringing people together in honest, fruitful conversation. We know it works beautifully. Engaging people in solving their own problems, depending on diversity, working as equals. We know that from past experience. The only way those practices and this is why I created a book of practices. The only way they will work, and they do work beautifully, is to create the conditions for them. And for me, that's creating the school as an island. And frankly, I don't know how much of this is possible. This is my current field of experimentation with school leaders um, in many different countries where they do have more sanity, <laughs> still need to create this buffer, this protection so that people, and, and they need to create an agreement. So one of the things that is essential is I define sane leadership as the um, absolute un, unquestionable confidence that people can be creative, generous, and kind. 
but it is the leader's work to create the conditions because these qualities are innate in all humans and all, all children, but they're buried, they're oppressed, they're denied, or <clears throat> we doubt ourselves at this point. Why are so many people leaving all of the professions? Because they cannot express their higher qualities. They cannot serve what they came to serve, whether it's in health or education or the military. All those three professions are really grasping for people now. So for me, and I just want to stress, this is a working hypothesis. Can yeah. a school become an island of sanity? So I'm going to be actively working with school leaders to see what's possible. We know the processes by which people can solve their problems. And I include several of those in the book. But the first level is people within the school have to commit to coming together that the, they're part of the defensive strategy. Like, I want to be in healthy community with you. I don't want to be afraid of who you are or in judgment about who you are. I want to work together. Uh, and then there are processes, but the commitment of the people who feel they have no choice, because we're all swimming in this destructive sea, um, so there is a great need to create the school as a healthy community, and that takes work. That well, takes work. Work, work, and as as you know, leadership. In fact, it's it's really interesting to me um, to to talk with leaders and 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 observe their their ongoing challenge. And what I notice is that we are we are. We continue to rely on just what I think are just two legs of the stool, and we sometimes forget the most important one. So there's there's the management aspect of the work. You have to, of course, manage your environment, and there's lots of things that we learn as leaders in order to manage. And then in the school systems, there's fortunately now this acknowledgement of instructional leadership. And we know to be the instructional leader relative to quality pedagogy and ensuring that we are providing students with everything they need in order to learn within the realm of the classroom. However, one thing that I see that we don't talk enough about is this concept of leaders being what I describe, I had a professor once say, of being a public intellectual. The, the leader who thinks deeper about themselves, their circumstance, the environment, the climate, spends the time for themselves to, as Heifetz would say, be on the balcony and not always on the dance floor, to try to envision what's coming so that they can think around curves and predict and truly kind of lead with some of these soft skills, the ability to collaborate, the ability to articulate where we are heading and what we are facing. I, I see that really important public intellectual aspect of leadership being squashed. And if we're going to get to the, the islands that you describe and even to be able to work towards it, I think our leaders need to embrace themselves as these public intellectuals and not just 
managers and instructional leaders, if that makes sense. And so much of your book as it relates to creativity and collaboration is kind of what spoke to me as it relates to that. And I'm hoping that makes sense, or maybe that was an intentional. Well, it because makes sense, but I want to label you as very old-fashioned. Please because do. Because my experience with educational leaders, which is happening right now with school leaders in Southern California, is as much as they want to participate in their development, as much as they understand the need to do the inner work so they can do better outer work as much as they want to lead their schools they cannot there is a rule and i think it's for all of california but who knows at least it's very active in southern california you cannot leave the building for professional development oh okay yeah. um, when we do everything online, they still cannot participate because they are just overwhelmed with crises, with demands on them, with sudden eruptions within the school or the community or with a child. So I have just seen that in spite of their sincere devotion to want to um, develop new ideas and to develop an internal stability so they can stay and do the work. They're just prevented from that in, in, in all directions. So what you presented was a, for me a nice model of a three-legged stool of the past. I don't think we're standing on any legs at all. I think this is a increasingly groundless situation for educational leaders and for most leaders everywhere. And what we have to find is our inner stability and our commitment to stay and then figure out how we're going to create the conditions within our school to prevent some of this destruction. Um, from impinging or or destroying possibility. I mean, it, for me, it's a the critical need here is how do we persevere? How do we stay? The people who brought us in to do this training, they've all left. Three of them. <laughs> um, this is what's happening and I have the greatest sympathy or compassion really for any educational leader who just checks out now. But I also have a much greater commitment to supporting those who are committed to stay for as long as we can put up with this. So perseverance is what I'd like to introduce here because the Chinese, I have a little book, a guide, a daily guidebook on on perseverance um, and uh, the Chinese character for perseverance is that of a human heart over which is suspended a knife okay. <laughs> so like all Chinese characters it's open to multiple uh, interpretations but several just passed through my head yes 
Okay. What passed through <laughs> your head with that, Jeff? Tell me well, what. I, well, when you think about the, the concept of what you just described with perseverance, right? It um, that also shows a level of uh, the, the need to, to to sustain amidst threat, right? And because the right. idea of a human heart dangling over a dagger, a however you describe it, yeah, okay. So, right, that, that that clearly is demonstrating that there is this constant weight of threat of, you know, yeah. uh, demise. And yet, um, the, the version I have, based upon the character, would be that those who can kind of stay in that space and keep their head and heart about them are ones that can or should persevere. So that was what immediately came across my head. But also, I, I noticed the threat. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it's both, right? And it's also having your heart cut open with your experience and your heart growing in compassion. But the threat is always there. And these days, one random comment on the part of a school administrator can destroy their career. Um, I have personal experience with one Canadian educator in that realm, but she's told me there are 200 principals just in Ontario or teachers who have been put on leave because they made a comment that offended someone. And that's the way to deal with them. Just pay them, but just take them off position, take them out of the picture. I mean, it's a ridiculous situation. So what gives us the quality to persevere is a deep commitment to why we're here. And this has always been important for educators. It's been very easy. You just scratch the surface of an educator and they will tell you they're here to serve children or children are the future. Or I was just in this conversation an hour ago with Dutch educators. Um, so we know why we went into education but what gives us the capacity to stay is learning to deal with this incredibly hostile hostile and threatening environment um, and that requires dealing with our emotions not reacting so quickly but learning to take time to pause and create a more intelligent response. It takes the ability to see more holistically, to understand the dynamics of a situation and then choose action. One of my current favorite slogans is we have to see clearly in order to act wisely. Um, but if we're willing, if we wanna stay, then we really have to attend to our inner well-being our outer physical well-being, our spiritual well-being. We have to develop our own sense of ground in this totally groundless culture now. And um, we need to do that with children as well, because I think the majority of reasons children are going crazy is because there's no ground for them. There's no firm identity. There's no sense of belonging. Um, and we all know tragic situations of children taking their lives. One just happened within my community of warriors. Um, we need to find our own ground 
and then there are ways that we could create a healthy island of sanity. Maybe. <laughs> I want to go out trying my best to see if this can work. Now, yeah. yes, Meg, I'm curious because I know that, you know, throughout every, everything I've learned thus far about um, your perspective is that you have this high value for creativity, for collaboration, for um, leaders to truly be, you know, embracing um, their, the, their why and their motivation as part of the work, as a cornerstone to the work. And simultaneously, we are also facing some um, either innovative or distracting things occurring too, right? You, you mentioned um, artificial intelligence, right? And all of the tools happening with AI and the impact, potentially even threat that they may have to teaching and learning or a resource. How do you talk to leaders about, um, you know, being uh, navigating some of those complexities for which is all new to us, right? As right. opposed to, I mean, these these are things that once again we don't have answers for because we've never faced them. Exactly. Right? And so, I, think, yeah. I don't have answers except I know a process that works, which is to stay together and to acknowledge among our professional peers, our colleagues, just as you're doing uh, with your, your work, uh, which I think is so wisely founded. I really want to honor that. But we need to understand we've never been here before. We do not know the extent of the threat of AI. It seems quite clear. My work with Neil Postman at NYU was in the field of media ecology that he had founded. And it was about how every technology takes over and changes the culture, changes society, changes the norms in a very unstoppable, deterministic way. We've already seen this with, um, with social media and we all know enough of its destructive effects on politics, on misinformation, and on children, especially teenagers. So what's coming with AI is probably dreadful. I personally feel the climate is of greater threat than AI right now, because we're in an exponential change calamitous change period with the climate pushing back. But how do we deal with AI? Well, I just want to be with a group of other school leaders and be talking about this and just figuring out, so what did you do? What did I do? What was the strategy that worked? Let's acknowledge we don't know what this is, but together as a community of practice, we can exchange tips, ideas, practices, and at least feel we're in this together, which I think is one of the core criteria now. We have to be together in this and not try and, and we're, we're too damn busy, too overwhelmed to take time for each other. If we don't take time for each other, we're all going down. There's no doubt about it. You don't survive as an individual. You serve, communities can survive. 
human beings can get through anything when we are together. This is a very hard lesson for us Westerners to learn, but so apparent if you work in any indigenous, African, Australian, Southeast Asian, these are all cultures I've worked in. And people know how to stay together. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to add that one thing that's attractive to me about your message, and maybe because you, you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, some of my, my philosophies may be a bit old. Um, but one thing I, I do remember and, and believe in is if you gather the, the, the right people in the room with the right intentions and um, right spirit of collaboration, but also systems to be able to break down challenges and build towards future solutions, I, I think the answer can be in the room. The dilemma it that is, I, I it agree is, with that, is in the room. But what happens yeah. is, uh, to your point, especially as it relates to leaders, we've come so accustomed to our, our mode of learning is actually not active. It's a very passive mode of learning. Do you where, think learning's going on right now, Jeff? Well, sadly, not enough is my point. I think that what happens is there's a, um, we have become extremely leaders, specifically, have uh, been conditioned to become almost lazy in their own learning and development. And they expect spoon-feeding. Yeah, this and they, they don't... Yeah. Say, it's an no, investment of time. It's not our fault as individuals that we're no longer learning. We don't have time. I just created a wonderful learning program in Southern California. And a third of the people who signed up can participate in any way. It's not that they don't want to learn. They don't have time. Stressed people are in survival mode. And I see leaders are in survival mode and at any point that knife over your leader heart can just drop down in the most random unpredictable way with uh, as i said a random comment at a meeting or a social media tweet or whatever uh, we are very very vulnerable and i i'm working with leaders who want to learn who want to progress, who want to create positivity and possibility in their school, and they don't have time to do it. So I want to keep bringing us back to the present experience of school leaders and how we can support those who still want to stay and who still want to create possibility. And I only know one way that's possible, which is uh, what you're doing creates possibility. But then for me, the, the next stage is, can I create my school as an island of sanity? Well, to, to, for leaders to have sanity in this day and age, um, and I, I agree with the issue of time, the one thing I, would, I, I hope for in this island is that while we have a number of expectations, too high of expectations sometimes for the leader in terms of what we expect them to be able to manage in a day or in a week or in a year, I think we should add the expectation that they, they must develop themselves, that they, they are Absolutely. supposed to know each other, that they should feel just as much pressure and support for the expectation on development of self as a leader, as I would even say 
results. We well, we're so fascinated with the results. That. I want to add to that that it's not pressure that's needed. It's time and opportunity. I lead. I have led hundreds of leaders as warriors for the human spirit now since 2015, and. The benefits of developing yourself, of your inner life, of knowing how you work, knowing what triggers you, knowing what takes you down in terms of negative, strong emotions, and having practices to deal with those, um, strengthening oneself so that you're not just buffeted by all these, your own emotions and what's going on around you. So the inner work is essential, but it sells itself. We just become more peaceful, more present, more perceptive, and people like being around us. So it's, uh, there's no, you don't have to sell this. There's no pressure. Once you engage yourself and commit to this path, it's a path of ultimate service to be a warrior for the human spirit. Um, once you commit to this, the benefits are overwhelmingly positive. And I, I, I appreciate you saying, t you're right, time and support. And I, I actually think in some ways it's our leader's job to help even other leaders within the organization by providing time and support for development. And development isn't just about accumulation of instructional strategies or management techniques. It's about, you're right, knowing themselves as leaders, their strengths, sometimes even their blind spots. So they know how to lead and, or to your point, persevere over time, which is um, an incredibly difficult time to do so. So I, 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 I appreciate that and that nuance of time and support. We need to figure out the magic ingredients to, to, to getting that to leaders so that they can support themselves and in turn other people. Yes, and it's increasing. I mean, I'm coming fresh off this experience, which is heartbreaking in California, of people, they were given the training for free. They were given supposedly time and they were given filled with resources. And then they can't show up. They can't do the work because of their all these external pressures and they're grieving that it's like they really wanted to be in this training uh with me and and so it's added to a feeling of despair actually because they couldn't do what they so wanted to do and the only thing i would say in reviewing our conversation is i keep pushing you jeff to come back to what's happening now. And it's not a time for theory any longer, in my estimation, having written books on leadership, I could say that. Um, we don't so much need frameworks. We don't need leadership theories or even uh, new techniques. It's not our fault. And what is paramount for me is how do we find those leaders who are willing to stay and persevere and give them, as you just started to say, the resources. But the ultimate resource is how they create the conditions for people within their school 
to also feel new levels of competence. And um, we're not failing because of a lack of theory. And we're not failing because of a lack of leadership techniques. We are, the system is failing and we're in the midst of being battered and besieged by it. So coming together as you bring people together and bring coming together, but then forming a healthy community within your own school, or it's just the school, it's not even a district that I'm aiming at. I think we just, this is true compassion and understanding for where leaders are now. And I want us to find the best means we can to support them. As you're working with leaders, despite some of the you know challenges and frustrations and um, and, and trends that you're you're noticing and describing even right now, um, what are what are some of the things that key, that provide you hope? Are you seeing um, you know leaders? I don't that have any hope. I don't have any hope, okay. and I don't need hope. I need clarity to find my right work. And I use over and over again, President Teddy Roosevelt's enjoining us to do what you can where you are with what you have. And I also use a redefinition of hope uh, from the Czech leader, Václav Havel, who is a great revolutionary, peaceful leader. And he said, hope is not the conviction that something will work out well. Hope is the certainty that something will work out, that something is worth doing no matter how it works out. That's the place I inhabit. It's very meaningful. It doesn't matter if things work out the way I would want them. I'm in good relationships. I have a clear path of contribution in front of me. And when it doesn't work out, we just try something new. So it, it, we need the certainty for ourselves that we're in our right work and that we will continue to experiment and persevere because the work is worth doing no matter how it turns out. Are you uh, experiencing um, leaders or relationships that, I'm rephrasing the question, that are providing you certainty you need as it relates to continuing down the path or creating these um, concepts of, you know, this, these islands of hope or not, excuse me, um, islands of sanity. So yeah. are you, I mean, are you seeing um, leaders do certain things that are providing that certainty instead of hope um, yes. that they keep you moving? And tell I, us about I've that. Been, I've been seeing working with leaders in, in, societies that have already broken down, especially in South Africa, in Zimbabwe, in Australia. Um, and I've learned from them what it takes to keep going. I've, I've watched and learned close at hand of, of how Mandela worked, how Archbishop Tutu worked, um, and their faith that kept them going. I've also worked with Catholic nuns a great deal in the US and watched how their faith just kept them clearly moving in against all opposition, all um, 
demands on the part of the Vatican to come into obedience rather than keep serving the poor. I write about this and who do we choose to be? And what I've learned is that faith, and for me it's faith in the human spirit, faith in people, uh, is the antidote to fear. It keeps me on paths, it keeps me directed, and after a while it doesn't matter what help, what is working or not. I just know why I'm here, what I'm trying to accomplish, and uh, that's a meaningful life. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, this is kind of our traditional uh, final question that we ask our people. We ask you this, that we remind our, our guests on the leader chat that the majority of systems of support for leaders are actually roundtable processes, right? We, we say circles are better than rows. That's a, one of our themes, one of our quotes. Sure. We say, do we say that? And we say, don't lead alone. Those are the two kind of quotes that drive most of our protocols. Now, this is the one thing we do to provide content. But if you and I were to imagine we're sitting around a table at a circle with other leaders, and um, you wanted to end with one piece of pragmatic advice right now for leaders, kind of the elevator speech, what would you want to end with? What would you advise them of? I would advise you all <clears throat> to take some time and contemplate this question of who do I choose to be? What is my definition of a meaningful life? Whether it's in service to public education, whether it's in service to your community or your family, what at the end of your life will be what you are most proud of? And those become our guiding, our lodestar, our compass, whatever you want to call it, because we can get lost right now in not knowing what's of true value to us. So this requires contemplation. So I really encourage everyone to take some time and just reflect on this question of who do I choose to be? And at the end of my life, what will I name as most valuable? Meg, I I think after after reading who do who do we choose to be, I I was hoping for a conversation like the one we just had. I think that one thing I want to be very clear is that um, many of the authors and um, and educational kind of uh, pundits that we interview are often providing some very pragmatic information to leaders, and sadly, we don't think leaders often have the time or the capacity to sit down and read anymore, to right. leave and look sure. at research. And so my job is to mine and <laughs> find some important information and bring, that, bring it to them in a very pragmatic way, like this. Um, that being said, um, I was hoping for the deep level of discourse that I thought, I think Meg will provide as it relates to pushing on this concept of le leaders being self-actualized, right, of truly understanding themselves as leaders and not just doers. And so this is truly what I was hoping for, and I'm so thankful that you were willing to spend some time with me and us today. Well, I hope it's been a benefit to everyone who listens. You certainly have my support and my heart and my compassion 
for persevering. Well, thank this. you. Well, thank yeah. you so much. Thank, and our paths will cross again. Thank you so much, Meg. You're very welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what I was hoping for. And I knew after, after reading this and actually looking up some articles and, and seeing uh, Meg um, online do several speaking um, situations, I thought, this is the conversation that I think is needed right now. And I'm so thankful that she brought it to us. So ladies, gentlemen, leaders, educators, be well. <laughs>